0: Welcome to the Vandenak Weaver-Truelsen Legal Visionaries podcast brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Vandenak Weaver-Truelsen Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I am Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenak Weaver-Truelsen, I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trust and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive
2: Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit InteractiveLegal.com.
0: Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC an SEC Registered Investment Advisor.
1: On today's episode, my guests are Jim Piper and Kim Cooley. Jim is an attorney at Vandenack Weaver Trulson with experience in opportunity zones. Kim Cooley is founder of Veterans Victory Housing. I asked Jim and Kim to participate in two episodes. The first episode will discuss opportunity zones generally, and Jim's going to do the heavy lifting explaining opportunity zones to us, The second will discuss Kim's use of an Opportunity Zone structure in building a new business, Veterans Victory Housing. So Kim will do the heavy lifting in that episode. Thanks for joining me today, Jim and Kim. Thank you. Thank you. So Jim, can you just give me a little bit more of your background? I just mentioned that you're an attorney, but you have a really interesting background that makes you particularly suited to be on today's episode. I was just hoping you'd share a little bit of that.
3: Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, I got my start doing uh, tax exempt bonds, which is a type of transaction where uh, you save interest rate uh, because of the tax treatment of the interest. And that kind of uh, transitioned into, along with some legislative and governmental work, uh, some uh, significant redevelopment, economic development projects that had uh, a lot of elements of public private partnerships where there were tax incentives or tax increment financing, um, partnerships with nonprofit uh, community groups, things like that. So all the hard stuff, right? Yeah, it's all very simple and straightforward, yeah.
1: (laughs) And so when Congress passed some laws on Opportunity Zones, you just found that really interesting, jumped right in, and the background that you have has really kind of facilitated your use of this structure in transactions.
3: Yeah, it came into the law in 2017 with the tax bill and uh, it seemed like a natural fit for the type of stuff that that I had done and the stuff that um Ben and Trulson has been doing in uh, in the business and the tax side, so
1: and watching what you've done, I'd say like all the, because your background, you could actually take up the whole episode and I'm going to ask Kim the same question. She could do the same thing with some of the things that you've done and then we'd never get to the topic. So that's why I just kind of wanted you give some of that background in terms of, because what I find interesting watching the work on the Opportunity Zones is that it really kind of encompasses a wide variety of knowledge in various areas that you have to bring together. And that's been, again, really interesting watching. So Kim, so can you give me a little bit more of your background? And again, we could easily talk about that forever because you've got a very interesting background. So I was just going to focus it a little bit and say, in this case, what's kind of, can you give me a summary of the skills specifically? And we'll talk about your passion a little more in the next episode that we're going to do. And, um, but what has kind of what skills do you have what's the background that kind of has made the development path a suit for you
4: well i spent 20 years as a banker and i did the type of banking called community reinvestment act banking which focuses on revitalization so our whole mission in life in this banking role is to help low and moderate income people That was totally valuable in addition to my real-world experience working for a Native American tribe. And then also I've served on 30 nonprofit boards. Uh, So I was really thankful to find Jim Piper and his skills in economic development and then marry those to my business skills.
1: Yeah, that's and you also have the seems like the combination of skills that you and and Jim both have have brought that project together nicely. So, Jim, can you explain to us in simple terms? Because I know it's not simple, and there's a whole lot of code sections, but what the qualified opportunity zone is?
3: Yeah, there's actually, you know, three different concepts you have to have in mind. Um, one is the opportunity zone, which is a geographic area which is uh, defined by uh, the tax law, but also by each state governor got to designate areas where they thought private investment would be fruitful with a tax incentive. Um, the second thing is a qualified fund, which you have to set up in order to take the dollars from people who want to get these tax advantages. The third thing is an opportunity owned business, which has to operate a trader business, within one of these geographic areas owning property real estate or equipment or uh, provide jobs and and investment in that particular area so when you combine those things you can get some very significant uh, tax breaks incentives uh, for the investors for the business so
1: and in passing the legislation congress's intention was not so much to give investors a bunch of tax breaks, which is you know what we do, and we're grateful when we have tax break opportunities. But I think their intentions that actually passing the legislation were getting development into some maybe underserved areas. Although I think if I recall, when we discussed this early on, one of those was the High Line in New York. There were some properties that I was questioning whether anything on the High Line could actually qualify. But can you just speak a little bit to what the goal of the legislation actually is about?
3: Yeah, it was a a bipartisan uh, effort hatched uh, by, uh, actually, I think, people who had been in the Obama administration, but it uh, caught on with uh, some of the Republican senators and Tim Scott of South Carolina uh, joined forces with Cory Booker from New Jersey, and they introduced this as a legislation to try to merge some of the private sector uh, investment opportunities with the need for investment in uh, disadvantaged areas, lower income, and higher poverty areas. And
1: uh, well, let me ask you a question not tech. just like the real estate, right? But also in businesses. So the opportunity zones can include real estate. So they're also giving opportunities to is it a startup business?
3: It can apply uh, really to any business, uh, startup or existing, and to real estate projects as long as you meet all the regulatory requirements. So, yeah, they they managed to get this into the 2017 tax bill, um, which was a Republican-Trump administration effort, but um, it really was a bipartisan uh, sort of left and right uh, coming together to try to do something significant. Now, as to your point, the way the census tracts were picked, there was a lot of opportunity to uh, pick some that weren't, quite fitting the definition of of low income or high poverty but um so there there's been some criticism uh, of some of the projects that have gone through but um there's a pending legislation that would clean some of that up uh, that may go through and also extend some of the deadlines so we'll
0: see where that ends up but
1: We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: If you had a dollar for every financial advisor that just wanted your money, your financial future would already be secure. At Foster Group, our team is different. One whose focus is on you and your dreams. Together, we'll create a strategy that helps you get there. Wherever there is for you. Foster Group, your financial life truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure as set forth in part 2a of form ADV discusses advisory services and fees is available at www.fostergrp.com.
1: Okay, let's continue our episode. So if I'm a real estate developer, and real estate developers are often seeking investors for their projects, why might the use of a qualified opportunity zone fund be a value to me.
3: Well, the uh, the main advantage is uh, you get an immediate deferral on your uh, capital gains tax um, that could be imposed on. So
1: wait a minute. So yeah. let's say that, that assumes that I had a capital gain. So yeah. what I was spent some time at uh, the New York NYU Federal Institute of Taxation, and the capital the the qualified opportunity zones funds were actually presented as an alternative to the 1031. And so I just Mm -hmm. want to clarify the why of that. So let's say I have some real estate with a significant amount of gain. Maybe I have a million dollar parcel of real estate. It's got a million of gain. I'm going to exchange it for something that's half a million. I have no basis in this property, right? So I'm going to exchange it for a property worth half a million and a 1031, but now I have $500,000 of boot. I can invest that in the qualified opportunity zone fund. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, the, the, uh, the 1031 is something that real estate people, professionals have been using for for many decades. Um, and it's a deferral, tax deferral technique, where you're taking gain from one property, rolling it over into another property. So but I could defer
1: that. it until death when I get a step-up in basis, technically, right? Yeah. So there's where the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund is also really a deferral opportunity as well. It's just a little different. Can you explain Yeah, that? it
3: actually has a lot of advantages over the 1031 because not only um, can you, as you mentioned, defer not just the gain but the basis, the boot, um, you can use it to defer gain on something other than real estate. So 1031 is real estate for real estate. Um, you can use a qualified opportunity fund to defer gain from stocks, from cryptocurrency if there's any gain left in that field. Um Art, anything that has gained in value that you have gain on that otherwise would be taxed, you can defer it by putting it in an opportunity fund, uh, which you don't get with the 1031.
1: But so then the other advantage. Seen, I just want to ask a quick question there. Some digital artwork sell for significant sums. So if I have like a zero basis in some digital artwork and sell that for millions, let's say I sell a, some digital artwork for 10 million, that's a gain I could put into an opportunity zone fund.
3: Anything that counts as taxable uh, capital gain can be deferred by putting it that benefit that you gain from that sale of an appreciated asset into an opportunity fund and you get the deferral, which you so can't can do you with just 1031.
1: clarify so. how the deferral works in that, in the zone, in the, one of these funds?
3: Well, basically, you have what's called eligible gain um, from the sale of an appreciated asset. And then you uh, have to invest that gain into a uh, qualified opportunity fund within the 180 days generally. But that's not a hard and fast rule.
1: So wait, so I get my million dollar gain from selling my digital artwork and I invest it in the Veterans Villa Opportunity Zone Fund. And so that million dollars, I'm going to get deferral on that gain. Let's assume it's all qualified Mm -hmm. and that, right? So I'm going to invest it. I'm going to leave it there. How long do I have to leave it there to get any benefits?
3: Well, there's two different two types of benefits, like I said, uh, which is different from 1031. You get the deferral. Right now the deferral ends in 2027. That might get extended. It's just because of the way that the bill passed through Congress. Um, but then if you hold that investment in the fund for 10 years, then all the gain that you get from the value of the opportunity fund is tax-free. Basically, you get a stepped-up basis so that your uh, gain on the sale after the end of the 10 years is exempt from capital gain tax on that um, gain. So 1031 only defers. QOF can defer and eliminate a significant portion, potentially, of the gain that you have on those repeated transactions.
1: And so the Qualified Opportunity Zone whole concept was really popular when the legislation was first passed. It seems to have less interest now. Why is that the case?
3: Well, when it when it first went through, uh, everyone looked and said, wow, this is really, really huge. Um, and it is a very significant tax incentive. Um, it took a while for regulations because it was a, a lot of uncertainty. And people didn't want to make transactions uh, until they had some regulatory certainty. Uh, We got that in 2019, and deals started moving forward. But then uh, the pandemic kind of put a break on a lot of things, and people reassessed what they needed in terms of real estate. Um, But with those delays, the timeline that was set in the original statute of five years and seven years and ten years – Some of those timelines were running up against a hard date in 2027, and so the incentive isn't quite as big as it was originally uh, because you can't hit those holding periods before 2027.
1: So that's where we're hoping for some extension of those time frames?
3: Yeah, there is legislation that's uh, percolating in, in Congress, and if there is ever a big tax bill, people expect that extending those deadlines will be included in it but um no way of knowing when or how that will ever happen uh, it might and it might not because of the way congress works but
1: <laughs> so as an investor and i had asked about the developer but i'm kind of going to back into that so as an investor the opportunity for me is that i have a capital gain that either doesn't qualify to be a 1031, cause it's not real estate. So it's my digital currency or artwork or something that doesn't, although the in definitions of real property have also gotten really interesting, right? But so it doesn't qualify for a 1031, but I can take that gain. Or if I have boot in on a real estate transaction that might qualify for a 1031 that I don't wanna exchange, I have a deferral opportunity. So that's for investors. And then I assume for the developers, the advantage of that is it gives them something additional to offer investors other than some of your traditional funds.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you actually have a tax advantage to offer them as well. And then it sounds like for those who own some land or want to operate a business in the fund, that's a third third and fourth opportunity, really. Is that right?
3: Right, because you can uh, basically if you hold this investment for the 10 year holding period and it does go up in value, then you're going to get a significant advantage from that tax break at the end of the 10 years. So like for Kim's deals uh, and we uh, calculated uh, and this is what the industry generally has calculated for a decent project uh, in an opportunity zone structured correctly with the tax break uh the internal rate of return ends up being 2 or 3% higher, 300 basis points higher uh, roughly than if you didn't have any of those tax incentives at all. So so a deal that would be a 10% becomes a 13 or 15% rate of return because of the after-tax effect of the uh, incentives. So
1: so that seems like a real opportunity for somebody with significant capital gains as an alternate. Like I do a lot with the real estate world, which is why I went down the 1031 path. But as you've mentioned, it's tons of other types of gains that we see come through as well. But again, that's where it came up at NYU in a discussion about they had a whole section on alternatives to 1031s and thought the qualified opportunity zones remained a viable option when considering that. Well, can you and Kim each just speak a little bit too? I know you had extension, extensive discussions in designing the structure for her project. Can you speak to why you landed on an opportunity? And I know the the overall structure is fairly detailed, but does include a Qualified Opportunity Zone fund as part of that structure. Can you each just give a little bit of thought on why you landed on the fund as a part of that?
4: Uh, yes. My project is Veterans Victory Housing and Small Business Center. And when I say that, it's actually multiple centers that I want to build. they are entrepreneurial campuses in at least 10 states and uh, various cities. So, the Opportunity Zone program gives me a chance to find military bases that overlap with the low and moderate income census tracts. And my deal has multiple dimensions. I want to earn money from the roof, which is energy solar collection. I want to earn money from the rents uh, for both the business offices and the housing. Plus, I want to earn money for my investor with the Which is basically the opportunity zone. Many accountants have told me that you can just add on 20% to the total portfolio. Uh, So, whether we're talking 3% to 20%, I worked my program based on finding the marginal revenue that's the highest after I pay for all the costs. And with various investors, then I can provide a bigger project and achieve those financial internal rate of returns that are competitive.
1: And I do want to talk a little bit about the overall goals of the project, but we're going to do that in another episode where we're going to talk to you about just where your vision came from. So kind of focusing on the use of the qualified opportunity zone. So do you have anything to add to that, Jim?
3: Yeah, well, from the uh, standpoint of Kim bringing in investors, um, They obviously, when they have capital gain, they can put it into Kim's fund. And uh, if they meet the 10-year holding period, they will have that very significant tax break as this real estate appreciates over the the 10 years or 10 years plus. Um, So that was obviously one advantage to locating in opportunity zones. And then the other double advantage is that the businesses that locate there can establish themselves as Opportunity zone businesses, which means they can either have investors that could get that tax break, or when they sell that business, uh, if so, once they've held it for the 10 years in the opportunity zone, you know, they can get a big tax break on using that to plan for how they, you know, exit from that business or sell it to someone or transfer it as part of their estate plan or anything like that. So,
1: Oh, estate plans. So let me just follow up on that as my last question on today's episode, because as you know, that's one of my things that I'm super passionate about, as well as anything we can do on tax savings. But um, so in the estate planning concept, what are the advantages of a qualified opportunity zone fund? The
3: uh, the advantages were set up, uh, the regulations were written in a way that were friendly to, to estate planning. So Um, Basically, if you make this investment and in the middle of your 10-year holding period, um, it passes through your estate, or if you transfer it as part of your estate plan, it preserves that. That's not considered an inclusion event, to use the regulatory term. It preserves that um, holding period, so the beneficiary then of your estate can take advantage of that same tax break that the investor would have originally gotten uh, when they put their money into the fund. So, so if it, uh, fits into what you're trying to do for tax purposes while you're alive, it also can fit into your estate plan, uh, for your beneficiaries of your estate. So,
1: so just before we wrap up this episode, I would just like to know if either of you have a last thought, have we, is there another key point that you'd like to make on this topic or just any additional thought that you would like to mention?
4: Yes, I'd like to point out that I'm purposefully teaching my daughters how to take over Veterans Victory and housing. And the small business centers, because I would like to pass that on in my estate. Also, I am willing to purchase in, out, uh, buy out any investors to the extent that my income will allow. Uh, so that is a nuance that's different. I actually want my children to hang on to this until 2047. Many investors want to leave after the 10 years, and that's fine with me. The other nuance is that we can give the nonprofit resource center in South Sioux City a chance to buy their office buildings in 10 years, and that is a great benefit to the community.
1: So Kim, I just thought of another episode that we should really do. So a lot of times I talk to women who have an interest in passing on their businesses to their children as somebody who that's my legacy is my business was passed on to me in a sense by my father who passed away really early. And I think that's a, I represent a lot of clients and I think that's a really special thing. But the second part of that is they heard was teaching children financial responsibility and how to run a business. So we'll add that on to our list of things to discuss further. So any last thoughts, Jim?
3: I think one thing that's important to note is a lot of the tax incentives, um, There might be a sense that you have to be kind of an insider. Uh, There might be allocations where you have to go in front of a city council or a housing authority or a state board to get, you know, authorization. Um, The way the Opportunity Fund is set up, you just need to file with the IRS and declare yourself to be an Opportunity Fund. And if you follow the rules, you get these incentives. um, Basically, as a matter of right, you don't have to uh, apply or, or... seek any sort of, uh, special allocation from a board that might be insidery or connected people. So it is kind of, uh, more democratic in that, um, everybody, even very small projects might be able to benefit from this and you can set up your own fund for your own money and, and use it as a way to invest in your own business, uh, which is a lot more, uh, simple than i mean there's a lot of complexities obviously but um you don't have to necessarily go through a process where only insiders feel like they uh, have a chance to get something from a a politically connected people so um so
1: it really creates opportunities for a vast group of people in different walks if they
3: know about it and know that it's able to be used in that way so yeah
1: Well, thank you, Jim and Kim. I appreciate you being here today. I look forward to catching up with you on another episode. As we reach the end of today's episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Parson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
0: About any legal needs or questions you may have.
4: Media Production.